Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Welcome everybody and um, we're going to get in the Word for a little bit and hopefully uh, my intention is for this to be an encouraging message but um, along with it there's a sort of a, a balance of warning too. Encouragement and warning working together to give us um, maybe some motivation to run the race so as to win. First of all, I want to tell you about a true story. During the gold rush of the 1800s, there was a man named Darby, and he and his uncle uh, went to Colorado to dig for gold. You know, they got there and they staked out their claim and uh, began digging with a pick and a shovel, which is pretty rough work. And after a while, you know, after, after slaving for a while, they found some gold. And so the, it looked pretty good. It looked, it looked like they hit a good vein of gold. So they were pretty optimistic and they went back to their hometown in Maryland and talked to all their friends and family and borrowed a lot of money to buy a lot of equipment to really to mine properly. So they, they came back, they got all the equipment shipped out to uh, the mine and uh, they began mining the gold. And the first two or three carts of gold that they uh, mined were really good. And so they were very encouraged. They brought them some money in, which they needed to live on while they were working. And also gave them some money to start paying back the debt. So they kept mining and, and had a few more carts of, uh, of gold. And so um, they could see that they may get rich with this. They were really encouraged. And so after a, a little while, the gold ran out. They came to the end of that vein and there was no more gold. And so they dug and they dug and they drilled and they dug and they blasted and they worked for many more months. There was no more gold. And so they just gave up and so they took, they found a junk man and they sold all their equipment for a few hundred dollars and they owed thousands of dollars on it. And they left. They left the gold mine and sold it to the junk man. The junk man though, he... Uh, he went and consulted with a mining engineer and had the mining engineer to study how the vein had run that they had originally discovered and how where the potential for more gold might be. And the mining engineer suggested to them if they go in a certain direction from where the uh, Darby and his uncle had left off, there'd be gold there right away. So he started digging and in three feet he found one of the largest deposits of gold that have ever been discovered. He made millions and millions of dollars. So Darby and his uncle were only three feet from gold. Now I'm telling you that for a reason. A lot of times humans who claim to be Christian will walk with God for a while and they will go along until they run into some kind of difficulty with temptation or with their family or with some desire of the world or the deceitfulness of riches or whatever and they'll be far long enough that if they just continued a little further they would have entered the kingdom and they were only three feet from gold when they fell away so I want you to think about if there's anything in your life or anything in this world that is tempting enough to you to cause you to give up, to cause you to be discouraged in this walk, to cause you to fall away, to cause you to get focused on the wrong things and be discouraged and quit, or quit trying, or quit seeking, or quit trying to overcome, or quit running the race so as to win. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. The problem that a lot of times I see, and Rita and I have been walking with the Lord for 40 years, and we've watched a lot of people come and go. The biggest problem is that people really don't want to deny themselves of the thing that's keeping them from the kingdom. So often they're unwilling to go that far with it. So I've asked the question before to different people, and I say, deny yourself of what? You know, that's a general statement. You must take up your cross and deny yourself. Deny yourself of what? Well, the first thing is deny yourself of yourself. Your selfish, lazy self. Your greedy self. Your, your unforgiving self. Your selfish self that wants to have its own way. That's the first thing you do is deny yourself of that because no one can come to the Lord unless he first denies himself of himself. And of course, you've got to deny, your, deny yourself of your sins, your particular idols, because before we came to the Lord, and sometimes people, after they come to the Lord, they hold on to an idol, something they love more than the Lord. An idol is anything you love more than the Lord. We have a lot of them in this generation, more than we've ever had before. What else do you deny yourself of? Laziness. One of the biggest problems that I have seen in the walk with God, it hasn't been drugs or alcohol, not even immorality, which is a big problem in America. The biggest problem I have encountered in getting people to run the race to win is laziness, being passive, being lukewarm, being indifferent, being devoid of the sense of urgency, being devoid of the passion to know God, being devoid of, to hung, of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This is the biggest problem I've seen in my 40 years is laziness is one of the most deadly of all sins. So what do we deny ourselves of? Whatever it is, that's keep, keep, keeping us from the kingdom of God. In Matthew 16, 25, Jesus also said, For whosoever wishes to save his life will lose it. If you're still trying to save your old life, have your own way, trying to, to keep things like they are for yourself, you will lose your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, I've asked that question many times. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? And I can tell you, it don't take much. It really don't take much. Oh, a little pride, a little stubbornness, just a handful of selfishness, just being passive. You know, there's a lot of nice people out there. They go to church. They don't really do anything terrible that we would call terrible. They don't harm anybody. They don't steal, cheat, and lie. But they're just passive. They're just lukewarm. They're just okay like they are. They don't really seek God with a whole heart. They really don't overcome the very inner man that's full of selfishness. They don't really do that. So what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Selfishness. Passivity. Laziness. Again, laziness. That just keeps coming up. Laziness. Lukewarmness. Just being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, just somewhere in the middle, is deadly. What about lust and pornography, which is a major problem in this country? Not only is it a major problem in society in general, but it's a huge problem in the American church. This is, the statistics that I recently came across say that 78% of American men who attend church view pornography on a regular basis. 33% of women who attend church do so as well. And more than 50% 
of America's pastors pastoring churches all across America view pornography on a weekly basis. That's the condition of our country. If the blind lead the blind, they all go to the pit. So what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Another one is obsession over video games and sports. This is a major problem in America now. Grown men who have families spend time playing video games. It's unthinkable that someone who loves God would waste his time with that. When there's so much more that needs to be done for his family. When, he, when a man needs to seek God and study the Word and pray and teach his family and love his wife and take burdens off of her and teach his children and be an example to his children. Is that an example to your children, men, to sit and play video games in front of your own children? What are you teaching them? This is America, and it's a horrible thing. Or to spend hours behind a TV watching sports games. It's just as bad. It's terrible. It's unthinkable. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Just about any kind of a sin, any kind of an addiction, any kind of a worldly pleasure, any kind of escape from responsibility. Oh, that big old word, responsibility. Men are supposed to be men of God, righteous men, men who seek God, men who know God, men who pray to God, men who teach the Word of God. But they give up that responsibility for the pleasures of the world and for laziness. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? A lack of responsibility. That's what he'll give in exchange for his soul. You see, it doesn't take much of anything. Just a little of this or a little of that is all it takes to ruin a man's soul. In 1 Peter 4.12, Peter said this, said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. And yet we always are, it seems. So many people are so surprised. Oh, I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe this is going on. But he said, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal which is among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. As though it was strange, but it's really not strange. It's really ordained of God. But to, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because a spirit of glory and God rests upon you. In verse 15 he says, Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. And you know what? I added a few more things to that list just to give you something to think about. Or one, don't let none of you suffer as a liar or suffer as a pretender or suffer as one who is jealous or suffer as one who is lazy or suffer as one who is neglectful or suffer as one who is obsessed with anything, video games, pornography, sports, any kind of pleasure of this world. Don't let him suffer because of that because it won't do you any good. You'll have nothing to rejoice with the Lord about when He comes. You'll be put to shame and cast out. You see, or don't let anyone suffer by just being indifferent and lukewarm and passive because it will accomplish you nothing. He goes on to say, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed. But is to glory, is to glorify God in his in, in this name. He's to glorify God because he's suffering as Christ did. He goes on to say in verse 17, for it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome 
of those who do not obey the gospel. Well, what is the gospel commanding us to do? What does it require of us? But to give up our selfish life and live for the Lord by obeying Him and keeping His word and loving Him with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourself, especially our spouses who are the closest neighbor that we have on the earth. Men, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And wives, love and respect your husband like, like, like the Lord has ordered. How can we say we love God when we don't even love the one whom we see every day? And he goes on to say, as he's commanding the word, and to love your brothers and sisters, especially above all others in the Lord. He teaches us that. So what does the gospel require but to give up our selfish life and to love the Lord with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as ourself? And in verse 18, he goes on to say, and if it's with difficulty... And brothers and sisters, it is with difficulty that we walk this walk. It is with difficulty. For he says, he says, for if it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? See, the godless man is the so-called Christian man who thinks he's saved but lives like the rest of the world, lives a selfish life. He is godless. But he's fooled into thinking he's saved. He's fooled into thinking he has God. But his conduct proves that he is godless. So what's going to become of him? The same thing that becomes of the sinner. The godless man and the sinner both end up in hell forever. He goes on to say, Peter does in verse 19, he says, Therefore... Those also who suffer according to the will of God, suffering according to the will of God is to suffer for doing what's right, not for suffering for doing what's wrong. Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And Jesus goes on to say in Luke 13, verse 24, He said to strive... To enter through the narrow door. He said, For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So I thought, what does he mean by strive? Because the whole religious world says all you got to do is just believe in Jesus and just ask him in your heart and just accept Christ and you're in. That's what we're told, which is a great lie. Why would Jesus say to strive to enter if that's all there was to it? So I looked up that Greek word strive. It's Greek word number 73 in the Greek concordance. It means to struggle. It means to struggle. If you've ever seen a butterfly struggling to get out of a cocoon, he struggles and he struggles and he struggles and he struggles till he finally breaks through and gets out to where he can fly. It means literally to compete for a prize, like you run the race to win. You work as hard as you can. You go with everything you got to get there. It means figuratively to contend with an adversary. You know who the adversary is that you're contending with? It's yourself. You are fighting against yourself. You're fighting against your own desires, which are in conflict with the desires of God. You're fighting with self. Your adversary is yourself and your own will. And you're striving against that to please God. It also generally just, in general, it just means to endeavor earnestly to accomplish something it literally means to fight and to labor feverishly, fervishly, fervently, labor hard to strive. It's like keeping on digging for gold when you still don't see any. But the real gold is the kingdom of God. You keep on seeking for it, keep on striving for it. You keep on searching. You keep on leaning on God. You keep on trusting God. 
You keep on seeking God with all your heart. You keep on steady to show yourself approved. You keep on praying those earnest prayers. You keep on repenting of everything in your life that's in conflict with God. You keep on turning away from everything that's of the world. You keep on, keep on, keep on, keep it on. And never give up. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Everybody's running in a race. You know, there's a hundred million so-called Christians in America. They're claiming to be running in the race to heaven. But Paul says, but only one receives the prize. In other words, compared to all those that are running, there's a very small number that will win. He goes on to say, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But Paul said, but we run to receive an imperishable one one that won't fade away one that's eternal so paul said therefore i run in such a way as not without aim i box in such a way as not beating the air but i discipline my body <laughs> this is this is what's missing in american christianity no one is disciplining their body much less their mind it's, it's, it's terrible what's going on today. The whole system is corrupt. Our countries are corrupt. Our, our politics are corrupt. Our churches are corrupt. Our pastors are corrupt. Our American Christians are corrupt for the most part. Very few really belong to God. So Paul said, I, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul says there's a possibility, if I don't watch it, that after all that I've done, that I, wouldn't, I would still miss the kingdom. He says, I've disciplined myself. I make my body my slave, so that after preaching the gospel all over the world, that I wouldn't find myself disqualified to enter the kingdom. So we're talking about running here. Paul's talking about running a race, running hard, running to win, running to finish, running for the prize. You know, I've watched people run over the years. I've seen them, boy, take off just wide open, run for a little ways and quit. Then go back and have a little pep talk with them and encourage them, talk to them, maybe correct them, instruct them. They get up and here they go again, running fast and hard. For a while, quit again. John Bunyan talks about this in his, in his writing called The Heavenly Footman, about how the sluggard only runs in spurts and jumps. He runs and quits, and then he runs hard and fast, and then he stops again. Then he goes on, and then he quits again. He's on and off. He's back and forth. He's in and out. He's up and down. He's not consistent. But he doesn't run consistently. You see, some only run inconsistently and do not run enduringly until the end. He explains, John Bunyan does, how those that run inconsistently, in some cases, will run even near to heaven's gate. They ran for a while, they stopped, they ran some more, and they kept on coming along, and then heaven's gate's just a little bit out there in front of them. They run almost to heaven's gate, but they cannot enter because they didn't finish the course, the gate shut. They were only three feet from gold. I pray that none of us end up three feet from gold. I pray that we really take it serious about this walk. The times we live in are terrible. I don't know if you're discerning of the times we live in, but they're terrible. I don't think there's ever been the darkness before as there is on the earth today. At the same time, we are of the light. And let the light shine in us and on us and through us. Let it shine. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 11, he said, Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. That word many there is the word that means multitudes. So that means there's multitudes of false pastors and false preachers all over the place. And this was predicted for the times we live in. And he says because lawlessness is increased, and lawlessness is man's own will to do what he wants 
That's what lawlessness is. For man to do what he wants. For men to be lazy and selfish and play games and, and not follow the, the responsibility of their families to take care of their wives and their children and teach them the Word of God and provide all the things that they need and seek God to know His will. This is what, this is what lawlessness is. This is what we have in this country now. A whole country of lawlessness in the natural and the spiritual. And because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. I have been, for almost all of my walk, trying every way I can to get men just to love their wives, to cherish their wives, to love them like Christ loved the church and gave up His life for them. I've taught it. I've walked it. I've lived an example before people to show them the way. And yet it's been the most difficult thing to get that across because most men and most people's love has grown cold in this generation. But Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So there's an enduring that must take place. It's not just enough to get started. It's not just enough to say you believe in Jesus. It's not just enough to ask Jesus to forgive you your sins or to repent of your sins. You must endure to the end. And so that's part of what I'm saying today. Don't stop three feet short of gold. So what does it mean to endure? To endure means to continue in the same state without yielding or wavering to any difficulty, any disappointment, any pain or any suffering or any temptation or any fear or any threat or any doubt or any hardship or any kind of misfortune or any kind of opposition or barrier. You get that picture? That's what it is to endure. If there's something in you that will stop you, Satan knows what it is. He will throw it out. To endure is to not allow any barrier, any kind of obstruction, any kind of hindrance to keep you from running to the end. In Hebrews 10, 36, the writer said, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Yet for in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Jesus is coming. When he's ready, he'll be here. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And faith is not just believing in your mind. Faith is having a saving faith. The kind of faith that caused you to clean up your life. The kind of faith that caused you to run to Jesus. The kind of faith that caused you to seek God with all your heart. The kind of faith that caused you to obey God. That's the kind of faith he's talking about. Not the Baptist faith or the Pentecostal faith. He's talking about the kind of faith that you will cleanse your own heart with because you believe God, not only in God, but you believe God. And you believe God and you believe Him by doing what He says. That's the kind of faith that saves you. And my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, that he shrinks back from this kind of faith, my soul will have no pleasure in him. In verse 39 it goes on to say, But we're not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. That's that faith that endures. That's that faith that overcomes. That's that faith that puts his whole heart into a relationship with God. So let us all run. Let us run to win and to overcome. Lest any one of us should shrink back from the difficulty of the walk, from the cross that we must bear. From the denying ourselves of self and sin and worldly desires. Let us run the race as to win and not shrink back to destruction and be lost forever. John Bunyan made a real strong statement. He said, if you want heaven, you must run for it. Did you hear that? 
You want heaven? You must run for it. You can't sit for it. You can't hope for it. You must run for it with your whole heart. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 44, He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found, and, and he hid it again. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He said again in verse 45, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Have you found value in the Lord enough to go and sell all that you have and give it all to the Lord? Your whole heart, your whole life, your everything. Have you, have you found that that purchase is worth everything else that you put trust and hope in? Is there anything you love more than the Lord or eternal life with Him? Is there anything on this earth that you love more than that? Have you sold your sins? Have you sold your pride? Think about this picture now. You have all this stuff you've gathered here on, in this life. Yourself, your pride, your, you know, your sins, your fears, your laziness, your worldly pleasures, your unforgiveness that you've held on to at times, your desires for other things, your expectations of life. We all had expectations of life. Life was supposed to turn out this way or that, but it didn't turn out that way. Your fantasies of family, which all washed out. Have you sold your love of yourself yet? Have you sold all these desires and these things, these plans and these hopes that you had and then purchased this one thing of great value, which is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ eternally, to love Him above all else on the earth? Have you sold it yet so you can go buy that one great value? Think about it. Or is there some things you're still trying to keep and have Him at the same time? If you haven't sold all that's worthless to get that of great value yet, if not, then why not? If not now, then when? What are you waiting on? Do you remember the foolish virgins in Matthew 25? There were ten virgins, you know, all together. Five were prudent and five were foolish. But all of them were planning on the return of the Lord. They were all His. They were all looking for Jesus to come. And they were all anticipating His arrival. And they were all expecting to be taken in, right? But five of them, only five of them had enough oil had enough endurance to make it through the long night while the Lord was delaying and coming. And the five foolish, they assumed they'd be okay because they had some oil, they had some truth, they had some relationship with God, they had some understanding of the Bible, they had some things right in their life, but not everything. And so they assumed that they were okay. They assumed that they would be able to make it till he came. But when he came, or when he started to arrive, they were running out of oil. And all of a sudden they were scrambling around at the last minute to try to get oil for their lamps. And while they were still trying to scramble around to get oil for their lamps in the last minute of the last day of the last hour, he shut the door and they were shut out forever. You know what? They were only three feet from gold. They were almost there. They were almost there. Just a little bit more oil for their lamp and they could have entered in. It wasn't like they didn't have any oil. It wasn't like they weren't expecting the Lord. It wasn't like they were not planning on being with Him. It, it wasn't like that at all. They were, all those things were true. But they just weren't quite ready. Just three feet from gold. So, that's a very sad situation. And what about Judas? You remember Judas? Have you ever comprehended Judas? 
Here he is now, handpicked by Jesus to be one of the twelve. He walked with God for three years. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He was given the power to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He was entrusted with the Holy Spirit. And after three years, he um, fell into temptation for an earthly desire and he betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And he was destroyed. You talk about somebody that was three feet from gold. Boy, I mean, how many times have we said, boy, if I'd been walking with Jesus, if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have done that. You know, I'd have, I've been so happy to have been one of those. That had been fantastic to be able to walk with Jesus and see all he did and hear all he had to say. And he was there in person and he, he, he betrayed the Lord. How could anybody do that, we think? Well, do we ever betray the Lord? Do we ever betray the Lord for some earthly desire? Is there anything on this earth or in your life that you would betray the Lord over? What about the love of money or the love of games and sports? What about the love of just yourself and your laziness? What about the love of just being neglectful, taking it easy? What about the love of anything in this world? Is there anything? Is there anything that captures your heart? Is there anything that jumps in front of you and Jesus? If there is, then you're betraying Him as well. You don't have to get 30 pieces of silver from the Pharisees. You can just betray Him right there where you're at. Just right there. And your end result will be the same as Judas's was. How about that? But see, I don't want to be all doom and gloom here. I want you to know that it doesn't have to be that way. Mr. Darby could have kept on digging. Three more feet. Just three more feet. He'd have been there. Just three more feet. In Matthew 19, verse 16, someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? It's a good question. And Jesus said to him, he said, well, why are you asking me what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? Which commandments, he's asking. He says, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit adultery. Or, I mean, he says, you shall not commit a murder. And he says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness, and you should honor your mother and your father, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said an amazing thing. He said, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? And so Jesus then went further with it and said, if you wish to be complete, in other words, if you wish to have eternal life, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. So I want you to get this picture here. Here's a good man, a good moral man. He wasn't somebody doing drugs and in pornography and out cheating in business. He was actually loving his neighbor. He was keeping the commandments of God. He was actually living a good, clean life according to the law. He was maybe 90% into the kingdom. Maybe 90%. You know, he had a lot going for him. But there was only one thing he lacked. One issue of the heart, just one. And you know, honestly, I've walked with God a long time, and I've seen a lot of times people come down to there's just one thing they lack. A lot of times they, they're doing really well in a lot of areas. And sometimes there's just one thing, one really clear thing they lack. Like this rich young ruler. 
You see, what he lacked was, the problem he had was his attachment to his possessions. See, he was so attached to his possessions. Is there anything you're that attached to in this earth or this life? And so what happened was he walked away. You see, this, this rich young man, he was only three feet from gold. Are you getting the picture of what I'm saying? Let's none of us be three feet from gold and quit. He walked away from the, the Lord Jesus Christ in person who was offering him eternal life. And he wouldn't give up something. Something that he loved more. Is there anything that you're attached to that you love more? Something to think about. So, over the years I've watched many people go a long ways with the Lord. I've seen some walk with the Lord for years and then fall away. Or turn away. Or go another way because something else has their heart or got their heart. And it could either be a sin that came into their life, a temptation, or it could just be the love of a family member they didn't want to disappoint, or it could just be the love of their old denomination or church or a doctrine or something that came up that the truth came along and, and it conflicted with it, and then they fell away. And many times people who have gone a long ways, who are still learning and still being taught, have fallen away, and they were only three feet from gold. If they just continued to keep seeking the Lord in the direction they were going. I want you to know that I oftentimes honestly pray for all of you. Because I think about this type of thing a lot. I say, Lord, I can't even imagine any one of my brothers and sisters here not making it into the kingdom. I can't imagine what it would be like. For any one of you whom I know and whom I love, whom I consider to be my family, to be lost forever. And so I pray many times that the Lord give me wisdom to say what needs to be said. Or the Lord would inflame your hearts so that you would seek Him wholeheartedly. Or the Lord would strengthen you where you're weak. Or the Lord would stir you up where you're not stirred up so that you would enter the kingdom forever. I want you to know that's where my heart's at. And I want you to know that's why I'm sharing what I am tonight, in case you're wondering why. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus said this. He said, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not what he's saying to the world, but what he's saying to his people. He says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In other words, if you don't overcome, He will not grant you to eat from the tree of life. So I looked up the word overcome. I thought it's an interesting word to define. It's really good to define meanings of words because it gives you clarity on what He's saying. Overcome. To get the advantage over something. You know, it's like two wrestlers. And they're wrestling each other. And one overpowers the other one and pins him down and he takes the advantage. That's overcoming. Overcome means to gain power over something. Let's say that you're, you have a, a, a sin that so easily besets you. Maybe it's jealousy or maybe it's anger or maybe it's pride. But to overcome is to overpower that sin. To throw that sin down on the floor, to pin it down, to take charge over it. To have power and authority over it. It means to defeat something. It means to conquer. That's what overcome means. To conquer. Conquer your fears. Conquer your uh, doubts. Conquer your unbelief. Conquer your whatever. To conquer it. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 12, He said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault and violent men seize, seize it by force as a precious prize. That's the Amplified. You know I've read this scripture before and it sounds a little strange to say that the kingdom of God is taken violently by violent men. But it's not the same kind of violence that we understand in the world that we have where people are riding in the streets and burning cars and 
and you know breaking into buildings and stuff that's not the kind of violence he's talking about so I looked up the Greek word which is always good to do and here's what it means it means to press hard it means to push it means it's referring violent men are those who seek diligently God and who exert much energy to enter the kingdom of God they go about it with their whole heart they don't just passively enter the kingdom. You have, to, you have to fight. You have to stand up. You have to stand in the gap. You have to seek God. You have to obey God. You have to take up your cross. These are violent men. And they take the kingdom by force. And they, the force is, they force their way past all of the world's obstacles and all the world's temptations and all the world's desires. They force their way past all of that that they might enter the kingdom. That's violently taking the kingdom by force. Do you understand that now? That's who gets the kingdom. That's why the lazy, passive, indifferent, lukewarm person will never see God. Never see God. You have to be active. But I'm going to say this again as a reminder. Jesus said, you can do nothing apart from me so the real need is for men and women to have an intimate passionate sincere devoted wholehearted relationship with the Lord seeking him with all their heart putting the Lord above all else obeying Lord from the heart keeping whatever he says as his will and seeking him until the last day of their life and when you have that kind of relationship with the Lord, He said, ask whatever you wish and I will do it for you. Because you will be asking according to His will. You'll be asking according to His word. You'll be asking according to His heart. You won't be asking for worldly things and carnal things and selfish things. You'll be asking things about Him changing your heart, giving you power, inflaming your heart, giving you strength to overcome. Because those things are in His will. So, apart from Him, you can do nothing. So, just in case you thought this heavy responsibility to take the kingdom by force is something you have to do by your own strength, you misunderstood. He says, finally be strong in His strength and in His might. Ephesians 6. So, be strong in the Lord with His strength, not your strength. That's why you must know Him intimately in order to be able to do His will. That's why I teach men to seek God. Teach men to study the show that says approved. Teach men to know God, not to depend on other men, but to depend on the Lord. So, Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance. I want to stop there and just give you a vision of something here. This great cloud of witnesses. Can you visualize that all those righteous souls that have gone before us are in the heavenly realm with the Lord? And they're watching us. They're urging us on. They're saying, come on, let's go. You can do it. We did it. You can overcome. You can enter the kingdom. It's wonderful. Come on, let's go. They're surrounding us. They're waiting for us. They're watching us. They're saying, let's go. Let's run. Let's enter. Let's overcome. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, because of that, let us lay aside every Encumbrance. So what's an encumbrance? It's something, it's a burden or a weight or some hindrance. It's like you're trying to run and you got a hundred pound sack of cement on your shoulder. Throw it off of you. Quit worrying about things that don't matter. Quit getting caught up in this life. Don't worry about the election. It doesn't matter who the president is. Jesus is the Lord. I mean, get our, let's get our mind on the things above. Lay aside every encumbrance because they're waiting on us to come on. They said, let's finish the race. We got to get there, guys. We got to go. 
And also lay aside that sin, the sin that so easily besets you. And you know what it is. Everybody has their own one of those. That sin that so easily besets you, the one that you trip up on, the one that it seems to, seems to always be talking to you. And the sin that so easily entangles us, let us run the race with endurance. Run the race that's set before us. Let's run it with endurance. We must endure. And in verse 2 he says, and while you're, while you're running, get this picture. The heavenly hosts are urging us on. They're surrounding us. They're saying, come on, let's go. And while, and while, and while we're now running and we're, we're, we're throwing off all the encumbrances and all the weights and all the worries and all the fears and doubts, we're throwing them off. And the sin that so easily entangles us, we're putting it aside. And while we're doing all of this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the Word of God. If you don't keep your eyes on the Word of God, you will get yourself in a ditch. You'll forget what the truth is. You'll start listening to the world and you'll start listening to your own thoughts and your own feelings and be deceived. So, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the Word of God, who is the author and the perfecter of faith... Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. Have you thought about what he's went through for us? And you... <laughs> And some of the, the complaints I hear and some of the belly aching and grumbling I hear among us sometimes over some of the silliest little petty things in life. And you think that we have it rough? We should be ashamed. There should be no complaint among us. None of us had to suffer anything like what he has. And none of us had to go hungry. None of us been kicked out on the street. None of us. We're not even close to suffering. It's a shame how disgusting it must be to the Lord to hear us complain sometimes. So consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you'll not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Has anybody, has anybody had to go to the hospital? And get sewn up here or taped up because of their striving against sin? Has it been that hard? Has it been that detrimental to you? Have any of you been shedding any blood? You see what I'm saying? Come on, let's go. We can do this. It's not, it's not, he hasn't required that much of us. The battle's here, it's in the mind, it's your perception of things. That's why you need to be in the Word to get the right perception, to have the renewed mind, to have your mind renewed, to be transformed and changed by the living and abiding Word of God. And he says, you've not, and he says, you've forgotten the exhortation which was addressed to you as sons. He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. You see, we're supposed to be disciplined and we're supposed to be reproved by the Lord. And we're supposed to reprove in the body of Christ. And we're supposed to correct those that do wrong in the body of Christ. We're supposed to watch after one another because our life depends on it and it's part of what God does in order to save us. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and He scourges every son whom He receives. You remember I read earlier, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal which is among you for the testing of your faith. Hey, don't, don't be surprised things go haywire in your life. They're supposed to. What do you think we're here for? We're here to be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. We can't be conformed when everything's rosy and hunky-dory all the time. We've got to have some suffering. We've got to go through some crosses. We've got to learn what's wrong with us. We've got to get over our belly aching. We've got to look at things above. Why do you think we're here? Do we think it's supposed to, life's supposed to be perfect? 
Do we think marriage is supposed to be perfect? Do we think job is supposed to be perfect? Do we think everything is supposed to be perfect? And when it's not perfect, we barely ache because we thought it was supposed to be perfect? Let's wake up and come into reality. God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love Him because He's working on our character. He's helping, he's helping get us across the finish line. He sees that stubbornness. He sees that pride. He sees those fears. He sees those doubts. And so He's working on those things. If we allow Him to, if we allow Him to have His way and we quit fighting against it, let's just go ahead and accept it. And bear our cross. Those whom He loves, He disciplines. It is for discipline that you endure. You endure for discipline. And God deals with you as, as, as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Theoretically, everyone should be disciplined as a son. But sad thing, in this generation, a lot are not. But he goes on to say, verse 8, But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, that is, all his children, then, you're, then you are illegitimate children and not his son. So, sum it all up, I'd like to say this. Let us lay aside everything that encumbers you. If there's something in your life that's hindering you from running at full speed, get rid of it. I've had people tell me it's the television or it's Facebook. Whatever it is in your life, if it's hindering you from running to heaven at full speed, get rid of it. If there's anything that's hindering you having time, seeking God, studying His Word, time for prayer. I heard people say, well, you know, it's hard for me to pray because, you know, i got to... I got to fix breakfast, then I got to get the kids off school, then I got to run here and run there, do this and do that. I'm going, there's 168 hours in a week. How are you going to explain to the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment that you didn't have time for prayer? How are you going to answer that one? Think about it. So lay aside every encumbrance that hinders you from seeking God and from overcoming anything that you need to. And of course, lay aside and repent of any sin that so easily besets you. Flee from it. It says in Scripture, flee from youthful lust. Whatever that lust is, if it's a lust for anything, it don't have to be sexual lust. It can be a lust for anything. A lust for, for fun and lust for games. A lust for ease. A lust for laziness. A lust for jealousy. A lust for pride. It can be a lust for anything. Run from it. Flee from it. Turn from it. Confess it. Repent of it. Overcome it. Beat it to death. Stomp it to death. Get rid of it. So you can live. Lay it aside. If you don't, I don't know what's going to become. What if you come all the way down nearly to the finish line in your walk with the Lord and you don't overcome one of those sins that so easily kept besetting you or you never did deal with that encumbrance that kept you from being wholehearted. You somehow just didn't do it. You were always going to do it someday. One of these days. You're going to put it off. Do it another day. You know it will work itself out sooner or later. You thought. Hey let me tell you something. It don't work itself out. You got to take a sword to it. And put it to death. You got to fight. You see. If you get all the way down. Towards the end. And you've come a long ways. You've done a lot of things that are right. You've been good about a lot of things. You've done a lot of things right. Believe the Lord in a lot of ways. But you really didn't finish. You may find yourself just three feet from gold. Is hell really worth it? What would become of you then? It's a sobering thought, isn't it? It really is a sobering thought. Remember that... The way to life is on a very narrow path. 
It goes through a very small gate. And Jesus says, strive to enter by that narrow way that many would, would want to enter but not be able to. It's because they're not ready. It's not because He's not willing. It's because they weren't ready. We all can get ready. We all have the option to be ready. It's always a choice. Anybody can get ready. It's not too hard. It's not unreasonable. It's very doable. But only a few are willing to find that narrow way because it will cost them something. It'll cost them their selfishness and their life here on this earth the way they wanted to live it. It'll cost them their own plans and they'll have to substitute the plan of God for their plan. But I want everyone here and everyone who hears this video or this tape, I want everyone to be one of the few. I really do. So whatever you do, whatever you do, don't just stop three feet from gold. Okay? Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog, and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.